This is the sixth entry to the Malcolm Wright Scott Audio Journal. And today, um, last day of February, interesting month of February, I will say that. Lots of ups and downs. But I hope that whoever is listening, I hope that your February uh, gave you a lot of inspiration great challenges that you've overcome and helped to build you up for a better month in March and beyond that. So I um, took some time to think about the topic I wanted to discuss on this episode and the one that came to mind for me was um, something I've dealt with time and time again over the last, I'd say, eight years at this point. Yeah, eight years. Um, And to that effect, it is uh, suicide. Um, Now, I know this topic can be very, very tricky and difficult to navigate with certain people. Um, But I think it's a necessary topic to, to discuss at least in the early stages of, of of this podcast. And more than likely some topics will be revisited. I think that this is one of those that will be revisited down the line because uh, these are certain situations that come up Anytime, any place, and you will never know, and you can easily be surprised at what is happening with people and what they're doing in, in, in their backgrounds, right? When the doors are closed and nobody's around, and we don't know what could be happening within their mind to make them feel whatever they're feeling in a negative connotation, because that's what puts you in that type of a mode uh, to want to take your own life. And so um, I truly uh, want to just say I'm sorry for the losses of those who have lost someone to suicide. And um, my heart goes out to you and um, the, your family, your your friends, you know, close relatives, all that, because it is tough, especially when you love someone so hard and they aren't loving themselves as hard that's where it really stems from is love and not having enough love and care for yourself so with that being said uh, for me you know how I kind of craft things these are things through my life lens and for me, suicide came about back in 2013. Uh, I was working at a call center for about a year and a half. And if we jump back to the episode before this one, when we talked about that potential, when I graduated college, everybody saw that or believed that I was bound for great things 
No one could specifically tell me what they thought I would be doing, but they just believed that I was going to be something grand and great. And I had no recollection of what the hell I'd be getting myself into or where I'd be going or anything like that. I was working a catering job, a job at at a museum. Um, what else? I don't know. A, a, a booth, uh, a, a job at a booth for some for some boats. <laughs> um, I had some some odd jobs here and there and they were cool. Not that catering one, but the rest of them were cool. Matter of fact, that catering can will not go there. But the other ones were, were decent. They, they got me into great positive surroundings. Um, and the people that I got to interact with were amazing, but I ended up moving back from Chicago to Florida and I ended up getting a job at this call center and I didn't think I was going to be there that long. The reason I made the move back to Florida was because I was in conversation with an individual who was a private investment banker. I met with him when I got back there, he pretty much sold me on this job that I was going to be making buku amounts of money doing some really cool stuff with him and the the group of individuals that he worked with, the collective he worked with. And I had to do a application process that basically took six to nine months, basically to process and get through all the background checks and all this, that and the other. So within that interim what I did was I ended up taking up other jobs, obviously, right? I couldn't just wait for this six to nine month period to blow by and find out what it is that I'd be doing. So I needed money at the time. So I remember starting off going to Best Buy and working there seasonally. And that could have transformed into something more full time because the job itself was, um, you know, it was it was okay, but the the amount of pay was just not there. And my expenses that I had were well beyond what I was getting paid. So I needed to find something else. And so my brother told me about the job that he had been doing at this call center, told me how much it was, you know, paying an hour. I was down for that because in my mind, I wasn't going to be here long. You know, okay, cool. I could stick out, you know, three, six more months of working another job because I'm just waiting for this background check to be cleared and, boom, I'll be on a whole nother playing field and I won't have to worry about this. So we'll just do our time right now. So we get here at this call center and I won't say the name of it, but I will just say that it was not what I wanted to be involved with uh, and not in the slightest bit. It was just a prison of the mind. You clock in and all you're doing from the time you get there to the time you leave is just making calls and you have a manager who is watching you on an on a computer screen you know several feet away and he can see if you're active or not on the call or not and it was the most degrading thing to see somebody stand up and look at you and basically tell you to pick up the phone and dial because that's what we were doing. We were making outbound calls. So we had to call into these physician offices and market certain medication to them that 
they may have already been using already for years for their patients or new stuff that was on the market that we want to give them updated clinical information on. And it was just a real bad time. That's as best as I could put it, because I don't want to sit here and find the right curse words for it. But I will say it was somewhere around that like sixth level of hell bad. And oh man, all I, I just remember one time I, I went to work, I drove there and I sat in the parking lot and I just talked about how I didn't want to go inside. I didn't want to go inside so bad. I just sat there and I sat there and I got out of my car and I started walking and walking on the sidewalk to the building and there are windows on the on the side of the building and basically they see right into the the office space that I would be working in so I'd see people that I knew you know who had these seats close to the window lucky them because at least they could see their freedom I was somewhere in the middle of the damn room you know eyeing the sunlight whenever I could but I was walking past these windows and I just see people up in there dialing and, you know, standing up and stretching because you're sitting down for eight to nine hours of the day dialing a phone. And I get to the steps to walk up to the front doors and I couldn't even take another step forward. And I just turn around. I remember seeing one of my coworkers as they were coming and they were like, hey, where are you going? I said, don't tell anybody you saw me. I'm out of here. Bye. And I didn't quit that day. It was just I just didn't work that day. And probably I ended up leaving and you know, smoking and drinking my sorrows away somewhere, you know, with a friend of mine. Uh, but that was the job. That that was it. All this potential people spoke about. That was my job to walk into a building, to dial a phone 100 to 150 times a day. That was it. So as time moved on, the uh, application for that investment banker comes back. He invites me to have breakfast with him one morning only to tell me that he wasn't going to be able to bring me on to his team for some unknown and ridiculous reason that I I don't even remember because I think I was just so slapped in the face in that moment that I had waited this long to be told no after somebody had basically told me that I was a shoe in for this and it just left me blank. I, I couldn't even tell you. It just left me blank, a hole in my system, hole in my heart. I, I didn't know what the hell to do, really. But this is what he did. He slipped me a check for five hundred dollars. and His last words were, go take your mom out somewhere to eat, you know, have a good time. And uh, hopefully, you know, you know, things will things will look change for you down the road road in the future that was it about eight months waiting and that was what I got 500 bucks and a pat on the back and again I'm living off of the term that people are telling me you know potential you know you have such great potential you 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 you'll amount to anything you you can do anything you you want to get into and oh my goodness I can't wait to see what you do da 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 opportunities like that I thought would come and be there at the you know I don't know as, as much as my my stomach could could have right as much as you could feel but that was not the case at all and so 
because of that meeting with that gentleman, now I had to just accept the job that I was in. Right? Because think about this. When I was going to have this meeting with him, I was so sure that I was about to quit that job. So sure. I mean, I was beyond that 99.9%. I was like, oh, I'm 101% sure I'm about to be out of here. And it was the total opposite of that. And so to come back that next week and basically see the same faces that I had seen for the last six, like I said, seven, eight months, it was just demoralizing to me. I didn't want to do anything. Matter of fact, I remember my statistics and my numbers took a a hell of a fall, and rightfully so. I mean, I'm sitting here trying to figure out what just happened. You know, like, what in the world just happened? So, anyways, let's fast forward about 12 more months. So now, or let's go more than that. Let's go, we'll hit like, because I was there for 18 months, so we'll, We'll say let's go to like the month 15, month 16, around that time. So around that time, I started to smoke weed and and drink uh, beer and liquor heavy. I'm talking about every day. Every day I was getting high. I was getting drunk after work. I didn't care because this was the potential that. I saw that that was was in front of my eyes. This is where I was. And so for me, this is what was the the comfort, the soother, if you may, for myself was just to smoke weed with my boys, drink and then go home at, you know, midnight or 1 a.m. just to wake up the next morning to go up into a cubicle and not give a damn and look forward to Friday's. Because when Fridays came, one of my boys would buy an ounce of weed and we'd go and smoke the hell out of it all through the weekend and all through the, the following week. And, you know, that's what we did for enjoyment. That's what we did to to pass the time and, you know, figure things out in our life, which we didn't. <laughs> we just partied uh, at bars, bar hopped, went down to Miami here and there, all types of dumb stuff. Hell, there were so many nights so many nights I, I was driving drunk home from Miami to my place uh, north of Miami. You know, it was like a 45 minute drive. And I'm talking about I'm going 85 to 95 miles an hour on a freeway drunk and falling asleep at the wheel. If God does not have a purpose for me, then I shouldn't be here. But that's not the case. And we all have a purpose. So let me just say that and get that out the way. But to push a point home further, there was a moment where one time I was doing that. And I remember I was just minutes away from being back in my place. And I I literally fell asleep at the wheel. I fell asleep. And the moment I woke up, I was a couple feet away from hitting the middle median of a road and it could have literally like I literally could have just been blasted through the window shield that I had and and everything I mean I swerved so hard when I woke up nobody was on the road no cops no other cars just me and I mean God was in that passenger seat with me and to this day 
I, I thank him for, for keeping me, you know, a, abrupt and alert at that moment because it could have been so much more different. But moving on, because I was doing so much of that, I started to think to myself, like, what is going on? What is my life? All the, And I started revisiting those thoughts and those talks with people, you know, from college, from high school. Potential, potential. Oh, my goodness. You have so much potential. You're so great. Da, 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 da. And I just got fed up with myself. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, this is potential. This is the potential that everybody sees is you right here in this mirror. You're nothing. You are literally doing nothing. You're withering away in a cubicle, calling people who don't even want to talk to you. And it's killing you every day, your self-esteem. And so I remember I had a I had this joint, or I had a bowl, excuse me, and I packed this bowl full of weed. And I went out to my car. And I went out there in the backseat and I smoked it. And my thoughts then were just all over the place. But they settled down. And in that moment was the first time I ever thought about killing myself. And it was the first time that I ever thought about going, like going through with it. I was in the back seat of my my vehicle, my Toyota Camry. I just like forest green Toyota Camry. It was pretty slick. I loved it. There's another story with that Camry and a chocolate shake, but that's for another day. But I was back there, and. I just I just could not do it anymore. I was I was I was at the end of my rope. I was not even ready to think about anything else but to just be gone, be out of there. And I just remember crying so hard and all of a sudden this voice just said, "You either will or you won't." And I was so shocked and so surprised. I just didn't know what it meant. And I sat there for a little longer. And I just remember telling myself, like, yo, don't you want to get back to Chicago? Like, that's what you want to do. So how do you do that? And I had a goal then. That That's what pretty much shook me out of that was just this voice and then trying to figure out where that voice came from. And then the thought of, hey, I'm trying to get back to this place. How would I do that? And lo and behold, one of my old bosses contacted me and let me know that there was a position opening up at um, a department um, with, a, with a job here in Chicago. And I mean, the divine intervention of, of the Lord just to have that text come in the following day was so, so such a relief. I didn't even know what to say, what to do. I just, I just was so elated that I, I of course I said, yes, I, I said, yes, this is exactly what I want to do, blah, blah, blah. You know, let's do it. You know, what do I have to do? Yada, yada, yada. And, you know, I, I did get the job, obviously, you know, getting back here 
to Chicago, but I got it. And I thought that that would be the last time I would ever have to jump that hurdle of a suicidal thought. But prior to recording this podcast, I wanted to take my own life a few weeks ago. So much so that I actually went through with trying to do it. I started to mutilate my own skin. And as hard as that is to say, it's the truth of the matter. And it sucks. But I had to realize, you know, through that evening, being there alone on my floor, doing something so vulgar and so brutal to oneself and showing how much you don't love yourself. It was so painful that I was allowing that to overtake my psyche. It was so painful to sit there and know that I'm allowing other people's emotions and feelings about me towards me trump how I feel about myself. Yeah, okay, hey, listen, I've made mistakes. I've made poor decisions. That is what life is going to be about. Mistakes, poor decisions, and you learning from them. But to try and take your own life, not to love yourself enough to work through things, that was disappointing to me. And, excuse me, I, um, I just realized that in that moment that there was just something that needed to be different. There needed to be a different, a different change. There needed to be a different vibe, a different feel, flavor. I needed to do something different because this was the first time I actually took something to my being to try and end myself. Now, there are other times in between the first time and this last time that I've had, but they're not as crucial as these book-ended times. And I guess what I want to say to it all is if you need help, If you need to talk to somebody, tell somebody. Tell somebody what you need, what you want, how you feel. Because they are not going to be able to read your mind. And as somebody who has dealt with suicide or suicidal thoughts, at least from my perspective, being the person in in that position, I'm not divulging any of those topics to my my friends or my family. Suicide doesn't have a face. It doesn't have a uh, you know characteristic or anything like that. You know, I mean, 
not to be frank and, and quick about it, but it's just you're here today, you're gone tomorrow. That's how quick the decision is to do that. And, you know, it, it, is, a, it is a very tough thing for whatever is going on in your life. And I applaud those people who've been able to overcome them, those thoughts, those feelings, those emotions, to be able to push forward and progress in what they would like to do for themselves. Because it is tough. It is hard. But you made the decision to go through that storm and you came out of the other end. And now you're walking through with more light on your face, a better energy about your grace. And that is what we all would love to strive for, whether you're dealing with those thoughts or not. Just to be at a better space for yourself is what we're trying to get to. And for those who are still dealing with it, I'd urge you to talk about it. Tell someone, confide in someone that you trust about how you're feeling about yourself. Because it is a difficult situation and it's not something that you need to do alone. You don't have to do it alone. You shouldn't do it alone. We want you to feel better. And we want you to love yourself more and better than you have before. And that's something I'm still learning to do. And I'm taking the steps, finding therapy, a therapist to help me deal with deep-seated emotions, especially with all the things that have transpired over the last six, seven, eight months, over the year at this point for myself. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You have everything to look forward to doing that. There's people that love me, that I've hurt, that want to see me do well and see me do better. And they've urged and called on me to go to therapy, go take care of my mental space, my mental landscape, figure out something that will help me. Because there's only so much sometimes that you know, maybe a close friend can do or maybe your mother or father can do if you or if you're close with them. Right. There's a little bit of bias in there. So maybe you do need to talk to somebody who has, um, you know, a, disasso- a, diso- a disassociation with the situation that you're in. They don't know you. They don't know the people that may be involved in a situation or the issues that may be involved because they're brand new. But they're able to help you walk through and talk through these things. That's important. And I want you to remember this with suicide. Kill that thought because life is worth it. It truly is. Every breath that we take, every step we're able to make is worth it. This world has hidden gems that are extraordinary to look at and be involved in and to hear and to see and to not be able to cherish and enjoy those things with the people you love and the people that love you would be a disservice to your life the life that you were given by the almighty above us you matter at the end of the day you matter love yourself That is the biggest thing. Learn to love yourself more. 
through the trials that I've been through thus far in my life, I am starting to understand and love myself more and more, trust myself more and more, do things that I believe are right more and more. Instead of jumping into something with a negative attitude or a bad feeling or something of that, and then coming out of it feeling worse off than I did before I went in. I'm learning to do things better. And that's where we want to get to, is to that space where we are able to do things in a space of love and care, admiration, joy. We want to see the beauty in life. And your life is beautiful. So please, I urge you, if you are in that space that I have been in, I want you to take time to yourself and help yourself bring somebody else in to help you walk through that journey and come out on the other side because it is a beautiful light that is there and there are so many great things to look forward to. And just so you know, my thing that I look forward to the most at this point in time is my daughter to Take something like that away from her would be utterly selfish of myself. And even in death, I would never be able to forgive myself. But at this moment, I can make that choice not to do that and be there for her. And that is my shining light. That's the light I walk towards in those dark times. Because that joy is immeasurable and it's infectious to me. So I urge you to find your joy, find the light that you want to walk towards and love you, love yourself. Tell that to yourself more and more every day, more and more every day. Tell it to yourself right now, I love me. I hope you said that, and I hope we're going to say it again tomorrow. Hell, we'll say it again right now again. I love me. You got to say that. Believe it. Your words are powerful. So put those words into action. Love yourself, and I promise you things will be totally different than what they were before. As always, I love you. You are always great and you'll always be cherished.